0: Let's continue worshiping now by opening up God's word to first Corinthians chapter four. We'll take on just the first five verses together as we talk about being servants of Christ. When I was in seminary, I got to meet some men from all over the nation and actually, actually some guys from other nations as well. And I met some men who were called into the ministry in their 30s. I met some men at seminary who were called to ministry in their forties. And a few guys even called into ministry in their fifties and then had gone to seminary to equip themselves. As for me, God called me into ministry when I was 18. I was saved at 17. And then at 18, I remember very distinctly, it was in a high school senior English class. It was March 5th of my senior year when God called me into ministry during a lecture on Shakespeare now, don't be impressed with that. It wasn't that I was such a lover of literature, that I was so moved by the words of Shakespeare. It was the exact opposite. I was so bored, so bored. The, the teacher's just lecturing on and on about this or that character and this or that play. And, and I was thinking to myself, how can she like this? How could she find this enjoyable? And so it led me to a season of daydreaming, followed by prayer. So by the way, that could happen to you during the sermon, you might have a time in the sermon where you zone out. It happens, right? Well, turn it into prayer. Great things could happen because they're my high school English class. I, I zoned out and began to pray. And it, it went something like this. I thought, Lord, I don't know how she can be so excited about this. And then I started thinking, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And so I, I, I in that time of now prayer, I'm, she's, she's droning on and on like Charlie Brown's teacher, all that stuff, you know, whatever she's talking about. But I'm talking to the Lord and I think, um, Lord, do you want me to go into business like my dad? And, and I immediately thought, no, I don't, I don't see myself doing that now. And I knew something about counseling. I'd seen guys like James Dobson. So I thought, Lord, do you want me to become a counselor? And in my mind, the way I estimated it that day, I thought, no, because all I want to do is tell people about Jesus, and I'd probably get fired for talking about Jesus in some counseling place. So then I asked, Lord, do you want me in your ministry? And I would describe it in that moment like a, a strong sense of rightness. Like, yeah, that that's it. A settled sense that that's clearly what he wants me to do. Some some people have described a calling like that, a sense of oughtness. And I did feel very clearly. That is what I ought to do. And I know it was March 5th because that night I wrote it down and I went and spoke to my pastor. You know it's a wise thing to do, by the way, if God calls you talk to your local church, because if God's calling you, there'll be affirmation coming from your local church. And so my pastor, he was very affirming of that. He had seen my walk with Christ and he got me preaching pretty quickly, probably too quickly. He got me up on a Sunday night, not long after that to preach a first sermon and, uh, but very encouraging that church licensed me into ministry. And then years later after seminary, they ordained me into ministry, but the posture then same as now, Lord, I'll do whatever you want whenever you want, wherever you want. That's what I'll do. And by the way, that's not unique to pastors. That's Lordship. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the same heart. I, Lord, I'll do whatever you want, whenever you want no controls, but on you, you, you lead. But having been called into ministry with that posture, that ministry has looked like a lot of things over the years. It was a lot of student ministry, a lot of children's ministry, some singles ministry now total together, 20 years of pastoring three years in Alabama years ago, these wonderful 17 years here. And between those two pastors, 10 years of international missions. So wherever, whatever, whenever do whatever he wants. Why do I bring that up? because God is still calling people into his ministry. And one of my prayers has been through these years and in our Wednesday night prayer team is one of the things they pray for regularly as well, that God will call out more from our church into ministry and missions. So there may be a young man here or maybe not so young man here who's been wondering, I wonder if God's calling me to be a pastor somewhere. And God could call a young man to do that or a man to do that. And and if, if God's calling you or you're wondering about that, you can talk to one of our pastors here. We can pray with you about that. And so, all of us called to serve, but some called to be pastors. All of us called to serve, but some men and women called to be missionaries or some other ministry. And so, have you been asking the Lord, or when's the last time you asked the Lord, Lord, are you calling me to do something? He may affirm to you, you're, no, you're doing exactly what I want you to do in your secular vocation. That's exactly where I want you. You just serve me there. But God could be calling you to something else. Make yourself available. Today would be a great day for you to offer yourself again to the Lord. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I bring this up also because Paul here, he understands who he is as an apostle of the Lord. He knows he's a servant of God. In fact, he's telling the church at Corinth, "You you should regard me as a servant of Christ and you should regard every leader as a servant of Christ. So let's go into our text, just five verses, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I don't know if you noticed it in the text there, but there's there's some tension there between Paul and the Corinthian church that he planted. We know the church at Corinth was divided. Some were saying, I'm of Paul. Others, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. They're divided, but they're not just divided. Some of them are divided against Paul. Some were likely exalting him. That's the I'm of Paul group. But others were against him. They're diminishing him. I'm not of Paul. I don't like him. I don't want him to even be thought of as our apostle. And so Paul here responds to that. We're going to see it throughout this letter to the Corinthian church. That he understands who he is. And that's our first point this morning as we apply this. Do you know who you are? It's vital that you know who you are. Paul says in verse one, this is how one should regard us servants. This is what we are. We're servants. And specifically, he says, we're servants of Christ. Paul was very clear on who he was servant. Very clear on whose he was. I'm a servant belonging to to Christ. I love this. This is the great apostle Paul, and he's not at all looking for a term to describe himself, to exalt himself. He said, I'm just a servant. I'm just a humble servant of the Lord. And that's the right posture for any of us who are serving the Lord. In fact, I think about it. Every pastor that I know personally has this mentality. So I, I don't know any arrogant pastors in my circle of pastors. So When I am in meetings with our state convention, the SBC of Virginia, I just meet men who love prayer, men are growing in their faith like everybody else, but I see humility there. But sometimes when you go into look on media, you think, I don't know about some of these guys in ministry. Some of them don't seem to have the posture of servant. Some of them are taking the posture of Lord over their churches. Instead of servant of Christ, they, some of them carry themselves like a king or queen over the congregation. Some people are actually enriching themselves from God's people. So especially in those prosperity gospel circles, where instead of serving the people of God, let me see if I can enrich myself through the people of God. Listen, that's not Paul. He said, how should you regard me, Corinthians? Oh, you look at me, look at, look at Apollos, look at Cephas. We are servants. He said the same thing back in chapter three, verse five. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed and as the Lord assigned to each. Back in chapter three, he used that word diaconoi. It's the word from which we get our word deacon. It does just mean servant. We talked about it when we were there. Now here, when he says we're servants, he picks up a synonym of that, a word that really carries the idea of being a very humble servant. And so this was Paul, Paul's fundamental view of himself. Now as a child of God, I'm a servant of Christ. He says, Corinthians, you should look at me this way. So with the understanding of being a servant, That means that nobody there in Corinth should be exalting him. He's a servant. But because he's a servant of Christ, nobody in Corinth should be denigrating him and mistreating him. And so this is the right mindset for all of us. So have you embraced that understanding? That yes, you are a child of God through your faith in Jesus. But then as you live out your life, what am I? I'm a servant of Christ. Having that mentality as a servant of Christ really is, is essential for you to have that biblical balance between humility and confidence. Do you know it's possible to be completely humble and completely confident at the same time? It's when you understand you are a servant of Christ. So the servant part of that makes you realize I'm just a servant. Nobody should be bragging on me and I should never be bragging on myself. So humble, but I'm a servant of Christ. So there's my confidence. I'm weak. I've got nothing to offer, but I belong to Jesus. He has everything that I lack and I lack a lot. And so I belong to him. I can say things like Paul. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the perfect balance there. I'm a servant of Christ, humble yet confident. Listen, is that your identity this morning? Do you understand that you are a servant of the Lord? If you woke up each morning with that understanding that I'm a servant of Christ, how would that shape your life? How would that shape the goals that you have for yourself in this life? How would that shape the decisions you're making in your life? you understand well I'm making this decision as a servant of Christ. How would this shape the way you use your time when you understand who you are in him? So Paul says we're servants regardless as servants but then notice what he says next. He says we're also stewards. Verse one again this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So we saw he used one word for servant, chapter three, another synonym for servant here in the original language in chapter four. And now he picks up another word. And this is a word that carries the idea of being a a house manager, a person who manages the domestic affairs of a family or a business, a, a treasurer, a steward. So there were servants in some of these Greek and Roman households, who had that role, taking care of things inside the house. And Paul says, "That's, that's us. We're servants, but we've also been entrusted with some things. And notice what he says here. We're entrusted with, we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Do you understand that of yourself? If you know Jesus Christ, you're a servant of Christ and you're a steward. Notice of what? Of the mysteries of God. What's that? To be a steward of the mysteries of God, meaning you've been made a steward of the gospel message. What was once hidden in the heart of God now disclosed this mystery that generations did not know. Now Christ has come, Paul is saying, and all this love and this this way of reconciliation that we just celebrated at the Lord's table. This now is the mystery of God being proclaimed. And I've been entrusted with that message. Don't you love even in these early chapters of first Corinthians, Paul is very clear on his message. We saw it in chapter one, verse 23. We saw it again in chapter two, verse two, where he says, I determined to know nothing among you Corinthians, but Christ and him crucified. That's the message. I'm gonna preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. I'm gonna lay no other foundation in Corinth other than Jesus Christ, very clear on his message. That that shows us that understanding. I've been entrusted with this gospel. I will not be shaken off of it. What What a weighty identity, servant of Christ, steward of the mysteries of God. What a weighty responsibility. In fact, verse two, notice what he says. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. New American Standard says trustworthy. So Paul's focus and goal as a servant and as a steward was to be found faithful by his master and to him alone. So I've already told you that the pastors I know personally in my circle of pastors, they're faithful to that message. But there are plenty out on the horizon and in our own area who are unfaithful with that message. They've set that message of the gospel aside for strange other things. In fact, some examples I want to give to you as we just think about what's the alternative to being faithful. So some years ago now, I wanted to see what was happening in one of the sister churches not nearby. And so what do you do? You go to the website, And so I looked around, what's going on there? Who's there? And then I looked at a sermon. So I wonder what they're teaching there. And it was bizarre. This guy was preaching and what he did was he made up a story of an elderly priest and his wife set in old Testament times. He made up that story and he taught that story that he made up. I was thinking, why would you do that? You have the treasure of God's word and full of material, God's very words. You can't improve upon that. Why wouldn't you teach that? Why would you make up a story and teach your congregation that it was bizarre? But I got more recent examples than that. Just, just looking out on the landscape. And I saw online this one pastor who in a sermon, this is a church somewhere in the area, who asked the question, then answered it in a very weird way. The question this person brought up saying, why did God create all of us? And the, in this pastor gave this answer because God was lonely and he wanted to be in love. Well, what is that? That's atrocious. That's not faithful. That's not what God has revealed. Listen, God has never been lonely a moment in his eternal existence. God is complete. He needs nothing from anybody within the Godhead, father, son, Holy spirit. There's perfect fellowship and joy and love. He's never needed anything. Now he made us for his glory and aren't you glad he's lavished his love upon us, but he doesn't need that back from us. He did command us to love him, but that's because that's a loving thing to do. If he said, well, don't love me. He would be sending us to love things that can't satisfy. So it's very loving of him to say, come to me, bring your worship this direction. Love me above all else. But that's not because he's needy. Strange teaching. Instead of the mysteries of God in the gospel disclosed, it's strange what people will teach. Here's another one. This is from a church in North Carolina. This person in the position of pastor. It was strange. The whole service was kind of strange. But then I heard this part and I wrote this one down where this person said and, and led the congregation kind of in a prayer toward the end. And there were a number of things there, but then led them to pray this, that we would love every human, every rock and every bird. Although what, what is that? We, We've been given the gospel, how men and women can be reconciled to God. Why are we praying that we'll love rocks? Why are we praying that we'll love every bird? This is strangeness. That's not being faithful. That same pastor, I had to get more of that one. I guess it's a bit morbid. I thought, well, what else are they doing there? So I looked at another sermon there. And don't worry, I didn't waste all my study time on all this. But the next week in a sermon, this pastor questioned the miracles of the Bible to the congregation there that I can't tell you whether these things really happened or not. Perhaps there was no real parting of the seas. It was just a, it was just a natural phenomenon, maybe. And then it was just really shocking. And then, uh, you know, I can't tell you that it may be, maybe the disciples were just overcome by grief and emotion that they thought Jesus was raised, something like that. Although this is horrendous. This is not faithful. That's not preaching Christ and him crucified and risen. That's actually preaching counter to that. In a church, this unfaithfulness is everywhere. We're just saying, I don't want to be like that. Here's one other example. I saw a clip of a, of a pastor preaching literally against the Great Commission of Matthew 28. So this pastor brought it up and then said, that's not true. And, and then called it evil. That This is where a lot of evils of racism and things have come up from the Great Commission. What a dreadful thing to do. What a frightening thing to do. That's the epitome of a false teacher. Here's what the Word of God says. I'm opposed to that, and I'm telling you something different than that. We're going to talk about judgment in a moment. I would be very fearful to be a false teacher doing that. And listen, that was easy to find those examples, and I had to cut short that so that I could preach truth to us here. But Paul says, We're servants of Christ, we're stewards of these mysteries of God, this gospel, and we must be found faithful. that and you and I here in our century we also need to have the same understanding we need to be faithful we need to serve in the same way so do you see yourself as a servant of Christ and let me ask you if you see yourself as a servant of Christ are you serving Christ do you see yourself as a steward of God's message so what does that mean what what would that look like if I were a good steward of this message entrusted to me means you're going to stand on that message you're not going to substitute it for something else but you're also going to share it. So you're not a good steward of the message because this message was not given to us to keep and hide it. You're a good steward of the gospel if you're standing on that gospel, rejoicing in it yourself and in looking for opportunities to share that gospel with those who don't presently know Christ. So are you a servant? Are you a steward? Are you being faithful? What would change in your life if you understood I'm a a steward of the gospel? This is my identity what would change your life if you understood you are a servant? Can I remind you again, servants serve. And here in the life of the local church, be looking and listening as with a servant's posture for ways to serve the body. You say you're a servant of Christ and that should show up in service as you're as you're physically able. Some aren't physically able, but if you're able here. And one of our pressing needs in the life of the church as August approaches, as we get ready to turn the page and start a new church year, is I last count, I believe we still need eight more servants of Christ in our children's ministry. And I want to make the case for you that that is one of the most vital ministries of our church. This week, listening to a podcast, I heard Albert Moeller talking about another topic, but he made this statement. I wrote it down. He said, dead churches have empty nurseries. Dead churches have empty nurseries. And again, he was making some other point, but I captured that and just thought about the situation. That's, that's exactly right. So if you're in a church with no children, the church is in an alarming state and nobody's being asked to serve in children's ministry. Don't need it. The church is dead. But in a church where by God's grace, there's life and young families are there and babies are being born, you're going to have a full nursery and you're going to need people to care for those babies. You're going to have you're gonna have a lot of preschoolers and, and elementary age people. You're gonna have students and that calls on the church body. Then, okay, there, there's a need to, to equip and raise up the next generation, those young parents and those kids themselves, those teenagers. Then that helps, helps all of us say, okay, I need to step toward that need. Maybe I wanted to serve in some other ministry, but I keep hearing that need. I need to be willing to serve even there. So we are to serve if we're servants. We're stewards of the gospel. We must share that gospel. We must make disciples. We must be faithful. So believer, know who you are and know whose you are. And then this, know who your true judge is. Know who your true judge is. That takes us back to verse three. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul saying, I belong to Jesus. I'm his servant. I'm his steward. Therefore, I can only ultimately concern myself with his evaluation of me. Paul tells you who will judge him and who should not judge him. Now, let's not be misunderstood. We're going to get to chapter five very soon. And there he's going to talk to to us about the kind of judging we must do in the life of the church. A church must be very discerning and judge in that sense. So if there's sin in the church, we're to confront that in love and grace, call people to repentance if they won't repent. Well, church disciplines called for again, chapter five's coming. There's a right kind of judging. Or if we find error in the church, unbiblical teaching then we have to confront that we have to be discerning. We have to judge that as error and act accordingly in the grace and strength of the Lord. But we're not to be judged by pettiness and worldly thinking. And that's what Paul was up against in Corinth. They were judging Paul incorrectly. They were saying things like, like this about Paul. He's weak. Compared to Apollos, he's not very eloquent. His words aren't impressive. We wish he were more philosophical like some of these Greek teachers coming through town, but Paul's not impressive. And who does Paul think he is anyway, setting himself a, as our apostle? And that's why Paul kept affirming his identity, his mission, his message, because he knew what they were saying, but he stayed doggedly determined to be faithful to what God had called him to do. Paul knew who he was, He knew whose he was, and that's why he could say in verse three, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Hey, wouldn't it have been problematic for Paul if it had been a very big thing, what the Corinthians and all their immaturity thought about him. If Paul tried to change his message and his methods to cater to that troubled church, if that was a big thing to him, would have gotten himself into error. And it's the same thing for us. You and I know that peer pressure is not just in the realm of children and teenagers, We all still deal with it, no matter how old we are. We all kind of like it when people are in favor of what we're doing. We don't like to be on the outs with a lot of people. And yet we need to understand, ultimately, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a steward of these mysteries of God, and I have to be faithful to him. There's coming a time when I'll have to give an account to him as a believer for my service to him. That has to be the judgment that looms large in my mind, not the contemporary judgment of people who may not be walking with Christ. Ed Welch wrote a wonderful book with this title, When People Are Big and God Is Small. And that book, he talks about the problems when in your life you let people take that dominant role in your life and you're trying to please people. That makes then God consequently very small in your life. Biblically thinking you're gonna have God huge in your life. He's in his rightful place. Then other people, they're gonna shrink in importance to be less important to you. But I love what he says, so that people don't misunderstand. He said, we need to love people more but need them less, like need their approval less, but gun it in loving people when you have God in the rightful place of your life. Paul had that very clear long before that book was ever written. Here in 1 Corinthians, it's a small thing to me, Corinthians, what your opinions are about me. I have one judge and I must be faithful in his sight. So Paul says, others can judge you incorrectly, but how about this? You could judge yourself incorrectly. I love what he says here. He says in verse three, the latter part, in fact, I do not even judge myself for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. He told us back in chapter three, verse 18, that you and I could deceive ourselves. We can be misled. We can think we're doing better than we're doing. If if we set ourselves up as the ultimate judge of ourselves, that's not a valid judgment. Here's the problem. When you and I judge ourselves and think, I'm gonna make myself the standard of how well I'm doing, we can get that very wrong. We can do that for several reasons. First of all, we can settle for less than God intended for us. In other words, we can set the bar so low that we think, well, I meet that low bar I set. And so I'm, I'm doing just fine. So for instance, a person can go this, what more would God want for me than to go to church occasionally when the weather's not too bad? I'm there. Well, when the weather's not too good either, when the weather's kind of okay, that's when I'll sometimes come to church. What more? I, that's, that's all God could ever ask of a person. That's not, that's not the biblical standard of what God wants for a servant. Or how about this? We can excuse our disobedience and rationalize it and make ourselves feel good about our sin. So a person might say, look, you know, we're not married, but we're going to get married probably. And therefore, we're, we're kind of married in God's sight already. So we can go ahead and start acting like we're married. Listen, that's rationalization. That's sexual immorality. That's sin. I've known to folks who do this. Well, I was married once before. Therefore, what I do now in my relationships is, is like, okay, like I've got carte blanche because of that one previous marriage. That's rationalization. It's, it's crazy thinking. It's, it's not helpful. Or somebody might say, look, of course, I know the Bible says you shouldn't return evil for evil. But if you knew what I've been through in my life, and so my, my mode is vengeance. I do just try to get even with people. It's okay in my case, but that's not correct. We can mislead ourselves when we're judging ourselves. Here's another way we can have problems. That's if we judge ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. So we look around at others and go, well, at least I'm not like them. And so by comparison to them, I'm looking pretty good. God's got to be pleased with me. But let's remind ourselves, as a believer, when you're standing before the Lord for him to evaluate your life, he in those moments is not going to ask you how, how you felt about it. Your judgment's not going to be like, how'd you feel about it? You feel like you did all right? All right. You say it's good. It's like grading your own paper. He's not, he's not doing that. Or neither is he going to hold up other people next to you. Well, you know, compared to Hitler, you really did nail it compared to him. You, that's the standard that doesn't that make any sense. That's not how he does it. Our faithfulness to Christ. This is again, talking to the believer. You've been saved by grace, by trusting in Jesus alone. But over and over again, we're told even believers now you're saved. You're not in the judgment that sends somebody to hell. You've skipped that one because Jesus has saved you. But now at the end of your life, you're giving an account. He's, he's writing to Christians here. You're going to give an account. God's going to disclose things that have been hidden. He's even going to show you the motivations of your heart. The passage says, and we're going to stand before the Lord. Remember what we saw back in chapter three, verse 13, he says, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Or 2nd Corinthians 5 ten. He says, For we, talking to Christians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or bad. So be clear on who you are, servant of Christ if you are a believer in Christ a steward of the gospel that's been given to you, that you must be faithful and be clear on who is the one and only judge that should loom large in your mind. At the end of your life and at the return of Christ, there will be an evaluation of your life. So what will it be? Will you seek the applause of the world around you, your friend group, or are you seeking the affirmation of God himself as a humble servant, forgiven of your sins through Christ, and now you just want to follow him in faithfulness. Three questions before we go, as I hope you'll apply this to your life along with me. Will you first of all accept God's offer of forgiveness and salvation? Before we can talk about being a servant of Christ, a steward of Christ, you need to be saved. And that's when you recognize that you have sinned, that you can't reconcile yourself to God. You could never be good enough by your behavior that you recognize I need Jesus to save me. Jesus who died on the cross for me. Jesus who was raised from the dead. He did that to save me. So therefore I transfer all of my faith into Jesus alone. Would you do that today if you have not already? And if you're not sure you've done that, I'd love to talk to you right after this service where we can talk about what that means to to make sure you understand that Jesus alone can save you, that you need to trust him. And then believer, are you indeed a servant of Christ? Jesus is not asking you to do anything he hasn't already done. Remember when he came to the earth, he said this of himself, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The night of his arrest, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. That's our posture as we follow our savior. And are you a faithful steward of his word? Hearing it, heeding it, and heralding it to other people. All of us serving the Lord here in the church, All of us serving the Lord out in the community. Some will be called to serve among the nations, joining Wes and Chris and Scout and Charlie and Mary and Jonathan and Carolee, taking the gospel to those who've never heard. That's what it means to be a good steward of this message. Some men here might be called to be pastors of local churches across the country. There's a need for pastors, and there will be an increasing need over the decades to come. And God may be calling some of you to step toward that as well. But whatever he's calling you to do, Whether formal ministry or something informal, whether full-time or by vocational or volunteer, let's just be all-in servants of our Savior. Let's pray together. God, we can think of no greater honor than to just walk with you. To abide in you, as you say, that we might bear much fruit. That's what we want, and we know you're worthy of that. God, we're easily distracted. We can chase the wrong things. Thank you for passages like this that bring us back to focus that we're servants, stewards, and you are the ultimate judge that we want to be faithful to. And so God help us to remember this, not just now, but tomorrow when we get up and in the days ahead, we want to be found faithful. When you come again, I do pray, especially for those who are hearing this good news for the first time that all of their sins can be forgiven through faith in you. God, would you draw them all the way into your family? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.